you know anyone who toots their own horn? Oh, those those horn tooters? Yeah, those horn tooters out there, and they and they annoy you, and you, and you and you might even think they're that's happening more and more these days. It's even happening in science. It is, yeah. It's an epidemic of positive self congratulatory emotional ex- emotional language. Uh, that is is permeating the world we live in and with consequences most of us can't even really imagine. We're going to head to Austria now to speak with a guy named Guillaume about a study on studies. Science Unscripted. So, hi guys. Uh, my name is Guillaume Wood. I'm a neuropsychologist. I'm the leader of a, a research group at the University of Graz. We are interested, among other things, on uh, rigor in science, and so good practice uh, for science communication. We just published an article on uh, exactly that. And that article was in how scientists describe their work, what the language that they use in the, in, in the beginning, the abstracts of their studies? Precisely. What we reported in our study is an increase in the use of uh, emotional words which are not really necessary for the understanding of the, the contents of the study. So they are more valuative, uh, but you add them anyway because they increase the amount of attention you get of people. So, so what's going on? It, it, like, what like words? It, yeah, what words? If, if, I'm, if I've done a study that involved testing a new drug on mice, am I going to, in the abstract, I'm going to be like, wow, awesome. I am exquisitely thrilled to, to show the, these fascinating results. What, what, what's happening? Can you give us examples of what they're doing? Yes. Uh, excellent, greater, better, improved, uh, helped, importance, novel, promise, progress, optimal. So uh, 40 years ago, uh, you would have six out of 10 abstracts completely free from this vocabulary. And nowadays, uh, only two out of ten are completely free from this vocabulary. Okay, so let, let me just make sure I understand this. Um, Forty or forty-two years ago, um, four out of ten or two out of five abstracts would have had this kind of language in it, and now we're yes. and now we're up to four out of five have it. Yes. So you've you've doubled the amount of abstracts that have it. Why? There are many probable reasons. Positively connotated words catch your attention better. And they also uh, have an effect on uh, the way you appreciate the text you are reading. When you are in an emotionally positive context, which is generated by these words, you tend to agree that everything is important. So you are adding false positives, seeing patterns where there is nothing. Similar phenomenon is uh, occurring in the whole internet content. The frequency of uh, positive emotion words is increasing everywhere, but at a specific price, because uh, you are turning off your critical reasoning when you uh, are becoming more positively uh, elated. But doesn't this just show the the, the human side uh, of these researchers? I mean, scientists, they're, they're, they're people too. I mean, or is it... Do you really see it as such a problem? 
Definitely. The problem is because uh, so many people who otherwise would not be interested in a specific study because it's not interesting for them would apparently uh, find these studies uh, more interesting. And then we proliferate uh, wrong citations. And with this strategy, we may uh, make this problem more severe. The listeners of this show, I think part of the reason they come to it is, is to get you know, good, good science information that has been reviewed critically and uh, that doesn't hopefully contain all of, the, of these exaggerations and these, this flourishing language. What can our listeners do to make sure that they actually get good scientific informa information, that it's, not, that it's not lost as a result of, the, of all this fluffy language? Is there anything they can do? This is a very good question. So for the normal reader, it may be uh, quite hard to distinguish between a good study and, and a bad study. This is really hard. Uh, I couldn't tell uh, of uh, any way for uh, the non-specialist to protect uh, against uh, uh, this kind of mistake. And what would you tell <clears throat> one of those young scientists out there who, who in, in his or her desperation to, to get published or to get a job or to keep their job? And, and use these terms, what would, you, what would you tell that scientist? How would you advise that person not to use this language? You should still uh, communicate as clearly as you can. And uh, this is also uh, uh, one way to, to increase uh, your readership, so to communicate in a clear way. But uh, this not necessarily involves uh, using uh, as many qualifiers as you can. And this can also be, be, be learned. It's also a, a, an extremely valuable ability. So to express yourself uh, clearly, so to uh, convince other people of uh, uh, the value of your, your results, the power of the evidence and the power of your design, not through more superficial artifices. Can you give us and all of our listeners out there three words to watch out for. Let's say they're Guillaume's least favorite words that pop up in abstracts of studies because our listeners, I know this from the emails, when we talk about studies, they go and they find those studies, they read the whole thing and then they email us about them. And they're like, oh, an interesting aspect that you, that you failed to talk about yeah. was XYZ. They read them. What are the three words that you want them to watch out for to identify when this is happening? All right. So my, my feelings about these words come from the psychological literature. So perhaps they are not so frequent in other branches of science. I would say important, novel, and uh, significant significantly. Important, novel, significant, significantly. I'm going to be watching out for those three words in every study I read. Thanks, Guillaume. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> All right, cool. And that was Guillaume Wood talking to us there from Graz in Austria, which he described as having, what, typical weather right now. It was It's freezing. Mm -hmm. and he said he didn't know what, temper what temperature it was because he doesn't walk barefoot. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I love that. No, um, lots of things to think about here. What's strange is the one lesson, which is completely the wrong lesson to take away from this, is that you can apparently confuse other people hmm. and limit their ability to think critically about the information you're communicating to them if you just pepper that written 
communication with positive, or not positive. What is this, flattery with positive imagery? About your own work or about yourself? Oh, about your own work. Okay, yeah. Right? That's what an abstract is doing. But also, I'm, I'm thinking of emails here. Yeah, or even the people listening right now is—is is there a difference if if Gabe and I talk about the fact how this important and ba- if I'm honest, novel interview, yeah, which was significant, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, what I'm doing here, I, I, it's I'm 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 putting drugs in your brain that that eliminate your ability to figure out the facts to take the facts away from them. And I, I'm I'm wondering. I don't have to do this very often in my in my day to day affairs. I don't I don't find myself ever having to describe my own work, which I'm thankful for because I don't like doing it. I, I, I'm thinking back to the time when last time I even wrote a, a cover letter for a job interview. It's it's hard to describe yourself, right? But now we've learned from Guillaume Wood that when you do. Use words that will not only flatter the person reading, but also um, uh, balloon your work up to such absurd, absurd heights yeah, that yeah. they're almost drugged. I, I, I'm not sure Guillermo would be would listen to this and say, "I'm really happy that that's what we've learned, all of us." I think what he would say, based on that conversation, is to to be aware of it on the other end of things. Yeah. Either when you're consuming, first and foremost, those scientific studies, but when you get an email or see marketing information or there's an advertisement and you start seeing all of this fluffy language all around it just know that you're being drugged to some extent so that you've you, you lose the ability to actually understand what's what's happening and what is being told to you the wool is being pulled over your eyes isn't that the, the term yeah um yeah. and and also that this is happening more and more and more even in scientific journals the writing that should be objective it's even happening there so it's completely permeated our world well and that we should object to it we have a right in fact he didn't say that but one thought i had is if i see this any of those three words i would be tempted i will be tempted if i have a minute to write the journal that published this work and say here's out here's a link to science showing why you shouldn't have that in there please pass this along to your editors that's one way to approach this in the future yeah, and we we after the recording stopped, we asked him, well, if I do have a a study that is novel or that has never been done before, how do I how should I say it? And he said, don't, you don't have to say that. Let your study speak for itself. Don't tell anyone he, that it's had, never he, been done before. He, yeah, he had a great example. If if you, if he introduces a molecule that reduces the size of a tumor, that's all he has to say. It may be novel; it could have never happened before. But the fact is, he introduced a molecule, and it reduced the size of a tumor. You don't need all of this fluffy language. Yeah. What do you guys think? Yeah, about this significant show. Let us know at dw <laughs> or at dw.com. Science unscripted.